All right. Well, if you've got our Bibles open to Ecclesiastes 9, last week uh, we spoke about how we can eat our bread and drink our wine with joy, knowing that God has added these things to our lives and intends them to be a happiness to us. Did I preach that passage strategically right before our scheduled potluck dinner so that we might get some good food as a result? I'll let you be the judge of that. The preacher of Ecclesiastes also went on to assure us that there's nothing wrong with having a nice set of clothes. There's nothing wrong with caring for our body. All good joy is coming from God anyway. It is God's portion to us. So we should not deny ourselves the enjoyment of these things so long as we are giving honor and glory to the one who gives them to us. Now that section ends with one more verse, one reflection that we will work through this morning. It's only one verse, but there's much to be said here about its insight into the life of faith that we who follow God's Son are blessed to live. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, I read only verse 10 for you this morning, which we will spend some time looking at together. It says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Let's take a moment and ask God to bless our understanding of this passage. Father, you are good and holy. God, no one compares to you and, and your knowledge is far beyond our knowledge. So if we have any hope of grasping the things you show to us in your wonderful word, we're going to need your help in it. And so I pray that you would grant us that assistance today, Lord God, that you would honor our desire to know you better by giving us a greater knowledge of who you are and what you do. I pray, Lord God, that any questions that maybe arise in the midst of this preaching, Lord God, might be answered in, in the preaching itself. And if they are not, Father, then let us continue the conversation. Let us continue to think and mull these things over, Lord God, and, and discuss them with one another. For you take pleasure in seeing your saints speaking of your word and, and living according to its great direction and guidance. And so I pray, God, that we would grow by the things you have given us today, apply them to our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text is brief. So let's read it one more time. It says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, which means the grave, to which you are going. So there are two aspects of this charge that have to be addressed this morning. First of all, we're going to look at the urgency of laboring for the Lord. We don't have all the time in the world to serve our master here on earth. We have a short lifespan. And so there must be urgency to our desire to serve him, to our, our laboring after the things that he has commanded us to do. And then secondly, we're going to be looking at the effort that we must apply to the work. The urgency of laboring for the Lord and then the effort that we must apply to the work itself. So let's begin by looking at the urgency. Solomon tells us here in the second half of the verse that Ecclesiastes 9.10, there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And where is he talking about? Of course, he is talking about death. Solomon has made that abundantly clear to us throughout this work. Death is a certainty. And that means there is essentially an expiration date for our labors. We were built to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But glorifying Him here under the sun is something that will only continue in its current form for a predetermined amount of years. And the time that we spend existing after our deaths 
will be infinitely longer in comparison to the brief time that we spend here on earth laboring for him. Jesus made a very similar declaration in chapter 9 of the Gospel John. John 9, 4 says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Day representative of the life that we live, the conscious life that we live here on earth. Night is coming, in a time when this, this period of existence on earth in flesh and blood here will come to an end. And when that happens, we will not be able to continue in these labors. So Solomon's not insisting that there is no heaven in Ecclesiastes 9.10 or that we cease to exist altogether when we die. Solomon is simply speaking about what he knows. Though he mentions the grave, he is speaking about what has been revealed to him. He has seen from the Lord that the work we are called to participate in will be removed from our hands when our soul is removed from this earthly body. The fleeting nature of life means that we can't afford to waste our time with half-hearted worship. When I go on vacation somewhere, and I bet this is true for many of us, somewhere that is very different from my home, somewhere that I don't get to go to very often, I don't want to spend my time in my hotel room watching TV. I don't want to sleep in too long in the morning, even though I probably need the rest. Vacations are good for rest. But if I'm somewhere different and new, I don't want to waste my time doing something I can do at home. I can sleep in my own bed when I get back, to, get back from my vacation. When I'm somewhere unusual, I want to get out there. I want to take in the sights. I want to experience the culture and the place for what it has to offer. I want to make the most of the time that I have because I know that before too long, I'm going to be heading back to the place that is so very familiar to me. And the opportunities that I have to learn and experience this different facet of life, this new place, will be behind me. Beloved, let us view our time on this earth not as a limitless commodity, but as a precious resource that must be used carefully. The time to work for God is now. And we must not delay in it or approach that responsibility with a carelessness that dishonors the God who has redeemed us so that we might serve Him. Some activities are expressly limited to our time here under the sun. Once you die, you cannot do these things because believers will be changed when they enter into that glorified state. We will no longer be sinners in heaven. We will no longer deal with a flesh that falls apart and, and degrades with time. There are many things that we can only do here that we will not be able to do in glory. I just want to mention a few of them for you today for your consideration. Repentance. Repentance is something that you can do here on earth that you will not be able to do in heaven because sin will no longer be something that plagues us there, will it? Remember the words of Hebrews 9.27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Is it appointed for man to die one time? After that, judgment occur occurs. Those who have Christ as their Savior, those who are hidden in His righteousness, will experience the rest of eternity with new eyes, with a changed heart, with a purification that we can only dream of here on earth. In heaven there will be no more sin, so you'll have nothing to turn from. To the one who has not yet repented, we need to think about this verse from Hebrews as, as a warning sign, as a charge. You don't have forever to leave the broad path and enter onto the narrow one. At some point in time, 
some point in time unknown to you, your days here on earth will dry up? Will the wages of your sin be your own responsibility at that point? Or will they rest upon the work of Jesus Christ? Our death marks the deadline for turning to Christ in faith. And so this urgency to serve God must be preceded by an urgency to repent so that you might be pleasing to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. I know a couple of you who just recently have lost family members who spent good portions of their life not serving the Lord. You were very concerned because as their health began to degrade, you saw the finish line approaching for them. And you did not want to see them miss out on glory. And so you prayed fervently. I know a couple of great testimonies in this room today of loved ones who just before they passed gave their life to Christ. Just before they ended their time here on earth, they realized that they had been in error. And praise God, they repented. They turned in the last moment. And we can take peace in knowing that God did not save them because of any work they had done anyway. So their salvation is just as sure as the person who gives their life very early and spends a whole life serving God and praising Him. But I have to imagine someone who tastes the experience of being loved by God for the very first time right before they draw their last breaths. Someone who is, is knocking on heaven's door and finally comes to realize that there is a God in heaven and that that God is a God of truth and justice and that that God loves them dearly despite their flaws. Learning that right before the end must come with a dose of sadness. Looking back on the many years spent ignoring that wonderful source of joy, thinking of all the things that could have been done to the glory of the one who bled and died for that person. So let us not go to the grave with that resentment for ourselves, with that, that regret, knowing that we could have served him well our whole lives, but we put it off. We waited, and we, all these years that we spent here on earth might have been fleetingly pleasing to us, but carried very little in eternal importance. So repentance is something that can only be done here on earth. It cannot be done in heaven. Here's another thing to consider. Evangelism, which you have been called to do and to love, is something you will no longer be able to do in heaven. You will not be sharing the gospel with the lost when you are in Zion with your Creator. Openly testifying the sovereign grace of your Redeemer to other people in hopes that they too might place their faith and trust in Him is a wonderful privilege and is something that we must be engaged in if we love other people. You can't tell me that you love someone else as a believer. You can't tell me you love someone else, but you're not willing to go tell them about the eternal joy they can have in heaven. You can't tell me you love somebody else and tell me that you're not concerned about the fact that without Christ, they will forever suffer torment and punishment for their sins. If we truly love other people, then evangelism should be something that we learn to love because we love the people whose lives evangelism changes. We don't have the power to change a heart to Christ, but we do have the commission that has been given to us by our Savior, that the words of the gospel are ours to carry into the world so that as the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of men and women who are lost and have no hope, that the words of truth preached by the church, by His faithful testimony of people, would cause them to understand what is going on in their heart 
So they might be able to express true repentance in a way that accords with the scripture he has given to us. There will be no turning souls to Christ when we leave this place. For all who are with us will belong to the kingdom. Do you remember the story of the two men, one rich and one poor, who both passed away? The poor man, whose name was Lazarus, had faith in Yahweh. Though he had very little to show for his earthly life, he trusted in God. And these two individuals in this parable that Jesus tells, which may or may not be an expression of true things that went on in heaven, this parable shows the, the, the man who is poor, Lazarus, enjoying the beauties and the rest and the glory of being in what is called Abraham's bosom, being near to the covenant people of God. And yet the man who was rich, who by all measures was successful in this life, whose life was to be envied by others, finds himself not in Abraham's bosom, but instead in the throngs of torment because he was a sinner unsaved by grace. He didn't turn to Yahweh and trust in him. He trusted in his own success. And so this man is destitute. He is beside himself. We know the poor man's name. We don't know the rich man's name. But he cries out for mercy. He asks that God would give him even a drop of water to quench his dry tongue, and God will not give it. He is receiving the judgment that he has earned. And so he cries out again and says, Then, Lord, at least send poor Lazarus back to earth to preach the truth to my family members who don't trust you either. Do you remember that story? He says, send Lazarus. And, that, and what is told to him in, in chapter 16 of Luke? He says, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they will have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. When you have crossed that threshold and you have taken on your new body, your new flesh, which will never be corrupted again, evangelism will not be an option anymore. Your time here on earth will be complete. But in the meantime, until that great glory has come upon you, you have the opportunity and the joy to spread the good news that has transformed your life, Christian. The thing that has made you new, the thing that gives you purpose in all of the storms of life, you can share that with other people. You can point people to the source of truth, that truth that declares that salvation comes to all who humbly come before the cross of Christ and repent and receive. There are more things that we can't do in heaven. When you get to heaven, friend, you will never again take up the sword and battle sin and temptation. To many of us, that's a great relief, isn't it? To many of us, we can't wait for that time. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And this, this language is very, very expressive on purpose. The temptations that we struggle against often feel like we are being attacked, like we are in the throes of battle. And notice that the Apostle Peter here calls us sojourners and exiles. That's what we are now. We are people who don't belong here. We don't live in this world because we're citizens of the world anymore. We live in this world because we are on the way to the place we belong. But when you get to heaven, you're not a sojourner anymore. Your pilgrimage is done. And so the battle will be over in that moment. The war against the flesh is difficult. 
and it is dangerous. We may often wish for more peaceful times in our lives, times when we can simply rest and not bother ourselves with being on the ready, being diligent against temptation, being alert to false teachings that would pollute our minds and hearts, remaining steadfast in the gospel by which we were saved and on which we stand. Will we, brothers and sisters, be prepared to give a defense at any moment for the hope that is found within us? This is a tiring enterprise, isn't it? This is what we are up against in the world that we live in today. But it will end one day. For those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, there will be a time of peace that will go on and on. But in the meantime, we take up our sword. We ready our shield of faith. We don the breastplate of righteousness. And around our waist is the belt of, of truth that holds us together. We walk upon the sandals of the gospel of peace and the helmet of salvation protects our minds. Friends, we are at battle, but it will not last forever. In so long as you are in the battlefield, be ready to serve the Lord God with all your strength. So do these kinds of things now while you still have a chance, knowing that life's end can fall upon us before we expect it to. Is there a person who needs to hear about Christ from you in your life? Someone that you know doesn't have other sources of life around them. If there is, don't wait. Go and tell them this afternoon. Give them a call and say, my pastor preached a scripture to me that I just wanted to share with you. And it reminded me of how important it is to know Christ. Do you know Christ? Have you trusted in Him? Is there a sin in your life that you know that you need to deal with, that you haven't confronted, you haven't brought into the light so that Jesus can dispel it and take its power away? Then leave no room for it. Don't let it take up any more of the little time that you have left here on earth to serve your king and to glorify him. Trust the Lord to banish it from your existence. Use your time instead to exalt the one who has reconciled you to himself. Is there a gift in you that has lied fallow for a long time? Has God ha given you some kind of a skill or ability, some sort of a blessing that you know he wants to use to bless his church, but you've only been using that skill or gift or blessing to bless yourself? If you have been taking your time and using it only for your own peace and comfort, then there are brothers and sisters here who could use your help who could use your love and support, decide today that for the rest of your days on this earth, you're going to serve your God. Put your name on the list and say, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want, I want to be used for just such a time as this because I don't know how much longer I'm going to have here. If you hesitate consistently, then your desire to find the right time will prove to be a desire to not serve at all. Do not be caught idle, friends, Take very, taking very little advantage of the Holy Spirit's power. Letting the life-changing reality of the gospel do little to nothing for the bulk of your life. Don't be caught like that. Serve Him now. Serve Him today. Trim your wicks and make sure your lamps have oil and be ready for the things that God has called you to do. The enemy liked to have you believing that telling God, not now, is somehow different than telling him no. 
we do not know how much time we have. So I do carry so much more significance than I will. You understand that? Many of us say, I will serve the Lord one day. One day, Lord, I'll be obedient to that call. If God is calling you, then serve Him now. Be obedient to Him in this moment. Say, yes, God, here I am. Use me. There is an urgency to the work that God has given us. But Solomon addresses also the degree of our efforts in this verse. Again, verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Do it with your might. And this goes along with what was read earlier by Sean in our opening verse, that whatever we do, we should do it with all of our strength, as unto the Lord and not unto men. Our passage doesn't only say that we are to do things for the Lord. It says, if you're going to do things, then make the determination now to do it with your might, with the power that God has given you to use in this earth, with all of your faculties and your resources and your strength, with all of your focus, with all of your passion and desire, with all of your efforts, serve the Lord God. Our understanding and appreciation of grace, and you will hear grace every Sunday from this pulpit, your understanding that you are saved if you are saved, not because of anything that you have done, not because of your efforts, not because of your exertions, but because of what Christ has exerted for you. That appreciation and love for grace may cause you to automatically cringe away from this word effort. It may cause you to think, well, I'm not allowed to work hard because then I'll start to think that it was me who saved me. Our effort has not been banished in the light of the grace that God has given to us. Friends, it has been reassigned. It has been reassigned to what? To doxology. Before we came to the cross of Jesus Christ, any attempts at being a good person, any attempts at pleasing God were done under the flesh. That means that we were using our own strength to try to bridge the gap that we made with our sin. But Scripture and the law of God reminds us and enforces and teaches us that our efforts to gain a relationship with God that is pure and holy and right will never be successful. The only way our relationship with God, which is born broken and born disheveled, the only way that our sinful relationship can be mended to God is through the work of Jesus Christ. He alone came and lived a perfect life. He alone fulfilled the very law that we break every day. And that God who alone is powerful to do righteousness without ever making a misstep, without ever falling into error, that Jesus gave his life on the cross for those who are sinful like us. And so we recognize and declare here today that our efforts are no, they're no good for salvation. That's not what God has given us power to do to save ourselves. No, God has given us power for a different purpose. That power and that effort and that ability is for the doxological worship of Jesus Christ our Lord. So put all of your energy into doxology, praising Him outwardly, lifting up His name, glorifying Him with your obedience and with your confession and with your trust. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 40, verse 16, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord! That is doxology. We have been so affected by His love and His truth that we cannot help 
but declare to the world that he is better than anything else that we could desire. Serving God with our might and living obediently to him with all of our strength is a loud proclamation that the Lord is indeed great. By the grace of Jesus Christ, I am a new creature, saved and purified, declared righteous by a God who is never wrong. And I want the world to know that. So my energy doesn't go into saving myself anymore. I know that's, that's a lost cause. I've already been saved by Christ. It was His power that made that work. And so what little energy I do have, I pour into praise. I pour into doxology and obedience as an outflow of the transformation that He has brought into my life. It is not a way that I earn His favor. It's simply the, the right response to the grace that He has given to me. So friends, effort is not the enemy of the one who is saved by grace. It just needs to be properly applied and rightly understood. Your might will manifest in a zeal to be near to God and to know Him more if you desire to be obedient to His word. Your might will manifest in a focus on eternal things, at times to the exclusion of earthly things. Things that are passing away should not receive the same dedication, the same devotion from you than your everlasting God receives. And so this is a, a very, very clearly proclaimed testimony to the world. When you have the opportunity to sleep in on a Sunday, when you have the opportunity to go and indulge the flesh, when you have the opportunity to be lazy and do nothing, but time and time again you say, no, I will serve the Lord. No, I will work for the glory of the kingdom. No, I will seek to, to help my fellow believers. I will reach out to the lost. When you use your time and you use your might, whatever you might have, to the, to the glory of God, you are telling the world that Christ is better. He is better than anything else you could have here on earth. Is there a better testimony to share with the world? And so, friends, do you belong to God? If you do, then you have work to do. Not the work of saving yourself because that work is already completed. The work you have to do is quite dependent on a much more important work that you are not responsible for. It's dependent on the work of your Savior. Jesus' effort and work, which is far superior to yours, has made it possible for you to be redeemed. But you have strength. God has saved you into better understanding. He has saved you into wisdom. He has saved you into gifting. He has saved you into blessing. So friend, bear good fruit. Use your spiritual gifts to bless his church. At the moment of your conversion, you stood with empty hands open before God, unable to offer anything worthy of redemption, but pleading with him for pardon. Will you now refuse the same God who renewed your strength, who answered that prayer and gave you a new life? Though he beckons you to come and join his mission, though he has called you to a, a commissioned job that is eternally important, will you now say, well, no, I don't have the time to do that. Thank you for saving me, though. Thank you for keeping me out of judgment. But I've got a lot of other things I want to accomplish before I can serve you, my God. Will you ignore his instruction to join the work and enter his harvest while declaring to the world that he is your Lord and your master? Is Jesus really your master if you are not being mastered by him. When you have been saved, friends, there should be a growing desire to press forward, to make good use of the gifts secured for you, a yearning to take hold of as much of the grace of God as you possibly can now that Christ has taken hold of you. 
In verse 10, Solomon urged us to do what we find to do with our might. Is this perhaps a help to those who possess little strength? Notice he says, our might. Maybe those who are not very mighty. Maybe those who are not abounding in wisdom. Maybe those who don't have a skill set that would be envied by others. When he says, love him with all of your might, maybe what he's telling us here is that you don't have to be some extraordinary person. Whatever God has blessed you with, use that for the glory of God. Serve him with that strength. If you are a tenor, you don't have to sing soprano. You know, Sing with the voice that God has given to you. Be faithful with the resources that have been entrusted. Has God given you 10 talents? Then invest it and make 10 more. But were you only given one talent? That's okay. Take that one talent, invest it, and make more. Don't bury it in the sand and do nothing with it. Put it to use by your faithfulness to make another talent. So in some ways, this... this wording here that we are to use all our might is a comfort to us or perhaps it is even a challenge to us. Do it with all the might you have and you have a lot of might available to you. Not within yourself that is from you but is from the Holy Spirit that dwells with you. Do not let your limitations discourage you from working hard for the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So our instinct that often answers a challenge with, I cannot, must also take into full account that the God who saved you and empowers you can. And if he has called you to do something, he will equip you with what you need to accomplish it. He doesn't expect us to use only our earthly strength in the fulfillment of the things he has commanded of us. He expects us to lean on the everlasting arms of our mighty God. We serve him with all of our strength, knowing our might will fall short but we serve him with a might that is beyond our own as well, and his might will never fall short. Let us conclude with with three precautions today. Though we are told to apply our might to whatever we find to do, let us make no mistake about it. Our hands need to find godly things to do. The wording of Ecclesiastes there seems to almost open the door that no matter what you want to do, as long as you do it strong, as long as you pour yourself into it, then God is glorified by that. That's not entirely the case. There are many things that you could want to do, that you could pour your energies into, that will give no glory to the Lord God, our Savior. The term whatever does not ignore the other wisdom that's found planted throughout the garden of the book of Ecclesiastes. There are worthless and meaningless and wicked things that you may incline, be inclined to put your energies into. But the urgency of laboring for God while you have the opportunity to do so means that by no means should you allow yourself to engage in things that God finds detestable. And heaven forbid you do those kind of fallen things with all of your might. So the first and greatest commandment is not Debatable. We are to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. These are the kinds of things that we are to apply our energies to, friends. So let's not make the mistake of thinking that Solomon here is giving us a, a carte blanche to do whatever we want, and as long as we say, I'm doing it well, then God must be glorified. No, God has told us what he wants us to glorify him in doing. Secondly, be careful that you do not spend all your time in the finding so that you never get around to the actual doing. 
some of you may uh, have on your internet browser at home, an Amazon cart full of things that you hope to buy one day, but you have not yet bought. You keep them stashed in there, maybe hoping that your loved one will log into your account and see all the things you want and get them for your birthday or something. All things that you want to do someday in the future. Don't let your spiritual life be like that, where you have thoughts of all the things you know you ought to do and that you want to do, and one day I'll get around to those things. I just got to find exactly the right way to do it. I just got to find exactly the mission field that God has want me to be a part of, that he is calling me to. We learned two weeks ago, friends, that a living dog is better than a dead lion, didn't we? In a very similar way, what is more useful? A brilliant, gifted Christian who plans eternally and never gets around to actually doing anything to the glory of God? Or a humble Christian who is not dissuaded by his lack of gifting and experience, but he simply uses what God has given him to honor the Lord God. What's more useful, potential or reality? The second person I described doesn't wait until he has every doctrine mastered. He doesn't put off obedience until experience has supplied him with insight into every scenario he may or may not encounter. He simply serves the Lord with his inferior gifts, with his limited intelligence, with his lack of cleverness and unremarkable charm. And all the while, men more gifted than him are spending their gifts on their own earthly pursuits. Which one is God more inclined to use? Which one glorifies God better with his life? So let us not put off the actual doing for the sake of searching. If you are unsure what it is that you should do, the words of our Savior will gladly help you along in that. So follow his word. 1 Peter 2.15, For this is the will of God, that you, by doing good, should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What does God want you to do? It's clear. You don't have to find it. It's been given to you, handed to you by the Apostle Peter. Do good. By doing good, you're silencing the ignorant. You're silencing foolishness. You're showing the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Again, What you find to do needs to match the will of God. It cannot just be whatever you desire. It must be holy. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. It is not such a big mystery what God wants us to do, friends. We often pine over the will of God and ask that God would give us an itinerary of the next 10 steps that we're supposed to make in his glory. And he simply points to the book and says, I've given you so many steps. Read the scripture and follow after it. Be faithful to the things I have revealed to you. So what should a Christian be exerting his might upon? We should be exerting it in worship, in loving the Lord God with all of our heart, with our soul, with our strength. It 
It is great to see joy come out in his people when you're lifting up your praises to him, when you're worshiping him by coming on a Sunday morning and giving your time to him, when you come back on a Sunday night for our Sunday evening theology times. God is pleased by that, and that is good effort to to seeking him and knowing him better. We are to be engaged in the act of prayer, right? Speaking with our God, praying strongly and not weakly, not just with a passing mention, but, but going to Him with our minds and hearts fixed on Him, undistracted by the things of the world, and, and doing whatever it takes to get to that place. If that means we silence our phone and we get away from people so that we can be in the presence of God, do it with your might. Pray strongly to God. Pray knowing that God can answer your prayers. Pray expecting His will to be done and trusting that whatever His will is, is best for you and for the people that you love. We are to be seeking wisdom from above. And you're doing that right now as we are together in God's word. You're doing that when you engage in our small group ministries or you go to adult Sunday school. You do that when you're, when you're teaching our little ones, volunteering in a Sunday school class or in kids club. You're doing that when you're standing out in front of Planned Parenthood, preaching the truth and helping people who might make a big decision that could forever scar them, it could hurt them, helping them to avoid those things and to turn instead to the grace of Jesus Christ. So seek wisdom from above and, and seek it passionately. That makes, means you've got to spend some time doing it. That means you've got to be focused on it. You've got to work through the difficulties of the not knowing. God is a complex being. And in order to know Him, you've got to be humble enough to say, there are things I won't understand for a while until I pursue them, until I come under good teaching and training and I get the mentorship that I need, and, until I've really meditated on these, these things and prayed through them. Put your effort into knowing the Lord God. Put your might into evangelism, into sharing with others. There is a great expression of God's power when you overcome your shyness, when you determine that I'm not just going to sit still and be quiet and let people die and be judged forever, even though it's not my character to reach out to somebody boldly and to tell them about Jesus Christ. I'm doing it in love, and so I'm going to do it. I'm not just going to sit back and be quiet forever. That obedience is an act of might. God gives you the strength to overcome your own fears and weaknesses. And we should do it in serving our neighbor and exhibiting mercy to one another, weeping with those who are weeping and and rejoicing with those who rejoice as we draw near to our brothers and sisters in Christ and as we even show that same kind of brotherly love and affection in some ways to the lost before they are found. They get a picture, a taste of what Christ is really like. And so let us serve our neighbor with might. Let us put our our resources to the test and support one another and care for one another. Let us be willing to care about each other enough that we remember the things we're supposed to pray for and we call each other back and say, how did that go, brother? How are things progressing with that situation, sister? What can I do to be, be a helper to you in this time? I want to be a good brother or sister to you. Are you doing these things? Are you doing them with all your might? You were not created to be idle. You were not redeemed to be idle. When Psalm 46 tells you that you are to be still and know that He is God, be aware that the knowledge that He is truly God that settles into your heart in that time of still reflection and and, and contemplation will by necessity cause you to move. You won't stay still forever. It'll cause you to respond in a worshipful and obedient way. You were saved to fulfill the works that God predestined beforehand for you to do. 
So after you are still and, and God has settled your heart, then get up and work. Do something for the kingdom of glory. A third warning before we conclude. Do not let what you have failed to do well in the past keep you from what the Lord would have you do right now. Your heart may have a sinking feeling as if you have come to realize this morning that you have been given or you have given little of your might to serving and worshiping the God who deserves your attention and deserves your best effort. Perhaps you've procrastinated in really engaging with your faith. Perhaps you have given the Lord God leftovers instead of applying your heart, mind, and soul and strength to Him and giving Him the first fruits of obedience in your life. The enemy would revel in paralyzing you with that knowledge He would love to make you frozen with regret today in such a way that you will continue to remain still or to offer a a half-hearted commitment to the Lord because you are so burdened by the ways you have fallen short in the past. That is the work of the enemy in you. You have no power to change the past, but with the help of the Savior, you can chart a new course moving forward. God can make a difference today and He can make a difference for tomorrow. Determine not to fall into the same ways that have plagued you for so long. Ask God for a strength and dedication that goes beyond what is natural for you. Set aside the things that hinder you, be it sin or a preoccupation with the dying things of the world. But do not stay idle for fear of failure or your fear will be ratified as a reality. There is a mirror-like quality to the text that we are reading today. What you do with all of your might will tell you a good deal about your soul. So the thing that you are applying your attention and your energy and your time to right now, that is the thing you love the most in life right now. If you have little time and strength for the Lord because your mind and might are focused on making money, then today the Lord is urging you to turn your attention to a heavenly treasure, That is far more valuable to you than luxury or comfort or earthly security. If your soul is most easily stirred by entertainment and your greatest work is aimed at securing more leisure time for yourself, then the Lord is urging you today to seek a greater rest, a rest that often can only be found on the battlefields of service to Him. A rest that remains with us even when we are spending all of our energy and working to the glory of God. If all of your might is spent on following sports or playing sports with no comparable regard to the things of the Lord, then understand this. The thing that you value the most is a mere contest of no consequence with no true moral value with no eternal benefit to your soul or to the souls of others. It can be enjoyed as a blessing in right proportion. But if it becomes your focus and usurps your love for the Lord God, then enjoy your trophy, my friend, because there will be a day when it shines no more. And that trophy will be to you a token, not of your success, but of your failure to see what is important in this wayward world that we are sojourners in. Love the Lord, your God. Love Him with all of your heart, Love him with all of the mind that he has given to you. Love him with your soul and love him with every ounce of your strength. When you profess Christ as your savior, but do not love him with your strength, you don't only hurt yourself, you hurt the people who are learning about Christ 
by watching the people who profess him. Charles Spurgeon, preaching on this same passage, said, You set an example of idleness and indifference to the things of God, to sinners which will make them say, There is nothing in religion. Why should we make any stir about it when even these who profess to enjoy it do not live as if they were in earnest and care not whether our souls are saved or lost? That's convicting, isn't it? When we live in such a way that there are 20 things more worthy of our time and effort and joy than Jesus Christ, we are preaching loud and clear a message to the world that they don't really need him. But when Jesus Christ is on the throne of our life and when our might goes into seeking him and serving him and blessing him and praising him, the world will see that too. And they'll wonder why on earth we give up so many of the things that the earth thinks are worth living for. We do it because there is only one thing worth living for and that is the Son of God. Friends, we've wasted enough time and energy and idleness. See the graciousness of Jesus. See that he is not bringing us to him on, on our merit, but on his own merit. And let that generosity fuel a desire in you to work with all your might for this God who provides so richly. He is our portion. Let us desire as much of him as we can get. Would you bow with me as we conclude in a word of prayer? God, we are thankful for the many things you teach us in your word and we are praising you, Lord God, that you are a worthy object of affection. That, Lord, if we were to forsake all things and follow after you, we would not be disappointed, Lord God, because there is nothing that compares with your greatness and your glory. I pray, Father, that we would receive these things humbly today. God, there, there is little chance that we will suddenly be perfect Christians after hearing a sermon like this. But, God, I pray that you will use a preaching like this to impact our hearts in some meaningful way. I know that you are working on me. As I've been preparing for this, I knew that I'd be preaching this lesson to my own heart this morning, God. I pray, Father, that we would take to heart that you are truly the one who is deserving of our energy and our efforts. We pray that you would be blessed and glorified. We pray that you would guard us against a, a, a mistaken works mentality that thinks that this effort would somehow save us or make us more loved by you, God. That is not the case. Our efforts are for your glory because you deserve them. And you have saved us so that we might be useful to you and glorify you forever. May this come to pass according to your will and by your might. In Jesus' name, amen.